0: Everybody's just celebrated some important holidays, at least in Canada and the United States. Canada Day, its 150th birthday just happened this past weekend. And the 4th of July, of course, is happening today as we launch this podcast. So we hope you're celebrating wherever you live, and we're glad you're here. And I'm going to lead today's conversation off with a comment that's very Canadian, and that is this. My business coach once said to me, a flat fee project without scope creep is like a hockey game without body contact. And if you're a hockey fan, you understand that that just doesn't happen. Um, In fact, you can expect during every game that someone's going to shove someone or push someone and the whole thing is going to erupt. So her comment was meant to remind me that I should anticipate and expect and be prepared for scope creep rather than fight it. It's coming. You know it's coming. It happens all the time. So why is it that every time it happens, I act like someone sideswiped me? That was her question. And you know what? When she put it that way, I realized I didn't have a good answer for it. So I knew then and there that there had to be a solution I could live with in terms of scope creep. And I had to have a new way of looking at it. a new way of dealing with it, and a new way of even, hold on a minute, embracing it, feeling good about it. So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Episode 15, why I love scope creep. I do. I love scope creep. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Seldon, brought to you by Business of Design, a coaching community for independent designers like you. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Anyone who has ever worked on a flat fee proposal, and I don't care if you're an interior designer, a decorator, an architect you're in the PR industry, you're in advertising, it doesn't matter if you've ever worked on a flat fee basis, then you probably have experienced the monster that is scope creep. Most freelancers think of scope creep as being something negative. And I do want to suggest in this episode that there's another side to the story, a very positive side, in fact. So I want to look at the most common view of scope creep first and how that single thing can devastate your profits, rob you of peace of mind, and really make you question everything you think you know about the industry. If you're new to the industry or you haven't heard that term before, scope creep is a general term that refers to unanticipated, often very innocent sounding requests to perform work that is not already in your contract. In other words, work that wasn't already agreed to, and therefore you provided a fee for. If scope creep is left unchecked, Of course, tasks grow and grow, and the project size grows. And that isn't a problem except for how we behave when that happens. So I want to make sure everybody's really clear that the only problem with scope creep is a problem with us and how we're handling it. And the other thing I want to emphasize is that scope creep can occur when a project is not properly defined. You haven't taken the time to thoroughly build a scope of work and then price out that scope of work. But hold on to your hats a minute because scope creep can also occur when a project is properly defined. In other words, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen to you take it from me take it from thousands of listeners who work in the industry it's going to happen so i want you to get prepared for it before i launch into the meat of this episode i do want to say thank you so much to kravet fabric Inc. Kravit has been an incredible support to me uh, throughout my career, first as a supplier of the quality fabrics that I long to provide my clients with, and I appreciate that, and I've been using them since 1991. More recently, they jumped on board to sponsor the podcast, and that is pretty much my experience of working with Kravit in any way. They are always the first supplier to put their hands up and say, how can we help you? How can we help you succeed? Seed in your industry. And I can't thank them enough for that. Of course, over the years, I've watched this family-run business grow and expand its line of offerings, which I'm so happy about. So now not only do I rely on them for great fabrics, but I also go to them for wallpaper. They have curated cravet furniture. Um, some of the items are very quick ship and I love that. And their carpets are spectacular now, so I use them for that as well. In fact, they really do make my life easier because it's one-stop shopping for most of my clients. They have such a variety of fabrics, I almost always find exactly what I'm looking for. If you are not in the habit of sourcing from Kravit fabric, I can't recommend them enough. You will get the red carpet treatment and they understand how hard your job is and that your job is to satisfy clients and they will bend over backwards to help you do do that. So thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. We really appreciate it. And I hope it's an amazing year for the Kravitz family and all its employees. Now, you remember I said that scope creep can happen if you don't properly define the project, but it can also happen if you do properly define the project. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's obvious. If you haven't been thorough at the beginning of the relationship and defined exactly the scope of work and put some very serious boundaries around it, then scope creep can erode your profits. And it can multiply the amount of tasks you have to do to satisfy your client. If you're not careful and your contract is not worded properly, you may find yourself in a position where you are working an incredible number of hours and unable to recoup any of those fees. So it is an important thing to think about and it's something that I think is worth talking about at length. Now, even if your documentation is sound, let's say you have done a thorough uh, estimation of the scope of work at the consultation, and then if you're like me, a trade day, you verify that scope of work, and you've been extremely thorough about it. Scope creep can happen anyway. And some people say, well, that's ridiculous. Then how can I possibly protect myself from it? And the answer is, you don't really need to protect yourself from scope creep, but you do need to have some firm policy policies around how you bill for it when it happens, and it will happen. Too often, I hear interior designers talking amongst themselves about scope creep, and typically, they will attribute it to a client who is pushy or greedy or grabby. In other words, the designer has done her very best to make sure everything has gone perfectly and smoothly, but the client keeps asking for a little bit more here and a little bit more there. My experience of scope creep is that is not typical. What is much more likely to happen is you have a client who's extremely invested in the outcome of the project and they want it to go really well. And so they begin to ask questions about some of the details. And let's be honest, sometimes some of the details are missed. We're busy. We have multiple clients. We talked about some things but didn't talk about others. And I'll give you a really easy example. Let's say you are painting the interior entrance door. It's going to be a beautiful dark charcoal, high gloss, elegant, and you're excited about it. And the client says, wow, that's really going to be pretty. And now when the door is open, you're going to see the outside of the front door. In other words, the view from the street that you would normally see, once that door is open, you're going to see it in the foyer and that's going to look really tired. So are you painting that as well? And the answer is gee. I didn't think of that. But you're not going to say that to the client. So you're going to say, oh, absolutely. I think we should freshen that up as well. Right there, you have the beginning of scope creep. And are you going to say something to the client about it right then and there? Are you going to say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't think of that, but I do think we should paint the front door. Let me get a quote and I'll add it to the list. If you say that, and then you follow that up by billing for the extra time it takes to get that quote and add it to the list, then you've done everything you can to make Scope Creep work to your favor. More often than not, what happens, though, is we say, oh, yes, of course I'm going to do that. I I didn't miss a thing. Of course I thought of that, and I'm going to include that. Don't you worry about a thing. And that wouldn't be so bad if the only bit of scope creep were the outside front door and you thought, gee, this is a great project. I'll just throw it in. But that is never the only thing. There's always a list of things. Scope creep can be subtle. It can be overt. Most of the time I find is quite innocent. Typically you're working with your client. Everything is going great. And then your client will ask for a little something extra. And the client either thinks the additional task isn't extra, quote unquote, it's part of what you already agreed to, or she doesn't realize her request is asking for more than what was originally agreed upon, or she's well aware that it's extra, but she hopes you'll squeeze it in anyway. And I want to look at each one of those scenarios in turn. The first scenario where the client doesn't think this is actually an extra, and in fact, she thinks it's what you've already agreed to. I'm going to use the example that I use in my book, uh, Volume 3, uh, Win the Flat Fee Game, uh, it says that you're redecorating your powder room and one day your client sends you an email asking if you can switch to wallpaper or initially you talked only about paint now the paint color has been selected it's been approved the painter's fee has been uh, added to the estimate and everything is agreed to then suddenly the switch to wallpaper it's a new development now you need to source the paper you need to get the clients' approval on the paper you're going to order the paper you're going to get a quote on the wallpaper installation You've got to get the client's approval on the cost of the paper and the installation. And you're going to ask the painter to re-quote his fee because he is no longer painting the walls. He's just painting the trim and the ceiling. Now, you've also got to arrange for the paper hanger to be on site at the time. Uh, And it, it can't be when the painter is there because they'll be bumping into each other. So are you really likely to describe in detail the amount of work it's going to take to switch from paint to wallpaper with your client? my guess is probably not. You do this all the time. uh, But given enough of these scenarios, we start whining a little and complaining to ourselves and we feel taken advantage of. And instead of saying to the client, I'm absolutely happy to switch to wallpaper, but here's all the things that need to happen in order for that to come about, and naturally, that's going to be outside of the scope of work now, so I'm going to bill you extra for that. Instead of saying that, what most of us say, and I'm going to throw myself into this as well, um, really, when I started out, what I would have said is, okay, no problem, and I would have done the extra work, and I would have told myself, it really didn't matter, she's so wonderful, it's a great project, the wallpaper's going to look great, etc., etc. But mount those tasks together, and suddenly, you have an extra 72 hours of work that you're just not getting paid for. In the second scenario, the client doesn't realize her request is asking for more than what was originally agreed upon. So again, you're designing a new foyer for your client. You've selected some gorgeous new wainscoting, gorgeous crown molding, a layered lighting scheme, decorative finishes on the wall and ceiling, new furniture, and one night the client comes home from work and asks when you're going to be painting the exterior of that front door, and you mutter something about never having discussed that before to which your client replies, really? Don't you think it's going to look weird to have the interior of the front door looking fresh and new and then the outside of the same door looking tired? I just assumed you would have thought of that. Now, if you're like me, you can admit to never having thought of it in the first place, but that's going to feel pretty uncomfortable. Or you can do what most of us would do and you're going to say, no problem you'll pick a color for the front door, and you'll ask the painter to add this to his to-do list. And it's really such a small thing, given the size of the project, you want to make the client happy, and there you have it, scope creep. In the last example I cited, the client is well aware She is asking for an extra, but she's kind of hoping you're going to squeeze it in anyway. You're so nice. You've been so accommodating. So she's going to ask. So let's say you've been hired to decorate a family room for your new clients. And one day you're on the job site with your electrician and he's installing a new light fixture and it looks great. In fact, it looks so darn good. It makes the fixtures in the adjacent hallway look tired and look dated. And your client who's at home casually asks if you would mind replacing the light fixtures in the hallway so they look as nice as the one in the adjacent family room. Of course you don't mind. You're nice. You're not going to really take a lot of time to do this, so what you say if you're anything like I used to be is no problem, and in fact, it does make perfect sense to replace the hall fixture since it may end up in one of your photographs anyway. So there you have it again, scope creep. None of these three scenarios is inherently bad, nor is the client at fault. The only problem is our reluctance to bill for the extra tasks, so it's actually our own inaction that turns these situations into negative experiences. If the project expands and you're not charging for the extra tasks, your fees shrink. And who is to blame? It's not the client if you're thinking, oh, that's the dark client. No, it's you. It's us. It's never the client's fault. We run the business. We make the rules. The boss makes the rules. You're the boss. You got to make good rules that protect you. If scope creep is limited to one extra task, big deal, who cares? Uh, unless, of course, uh, what happened to me might happen to you. And that was the scenario I used where we were doing the family room. She asked us if we would get some extra lights for the hallway. We did. And one of the lights in the hallway had a serious manufacturer's flaw, and it blew the power on the electrical panel, uh, short circuited the light fixture, and it took about 15 hours for me to get that all corrected. And because I was new, because I was just starting out, I wasn't billing for that extra time. And I ended up feeling very taken advantage of when in fact, I was the one who set the problem in motion by agreeing to do something outside of the scope of work. And this is really important. If you do not bill, for the very first little extra task. It's going to be harder to bill for the second extra task. And I know exactly what's going to go through your mind because it's what goes through my mind as well. It's just a little thing. It's going to make the project so much better. I'm just going to throw it in. But every single time I have ever done that, and I've done it plenty of times, believe me, for it to be painful enough to talk to you about it. Every single time I've done that, I've lived to regret it because the next time there was an extra, it was more difficult to bill for that task. And in some cases, I did bill for the second task and the client complained, well, you did the other thing and you didn't bill me extra. I just assumed some extras were part of the deal because it's so expensive to decorate and renovate. And very few of us have a good comeback for something like that, what it requires to be successful in this business is discipline, and discipline comes in the very first time there's an extra task. So what do I do when there's an extra task? First of all, I let the client know immediately, I would love to add that to the list. I'm really excited about it. No problem. If it's something really, really little, uh, for example, if it's a switch, let's say it's what I referred to earlier and the client has asked to switch from paint to wallpaper in a powder room. I am happy to do that. In fact, I think that's a great idea. It's going to make the project look so much better. Uh, If the client asks me face-to-face or in an email, I very likely will say that's terrific. Uh, I'm going to add that to the list. I'll do the following things. I'll get you the new paper. I'll get you the new price. We'll make it happen. And I will remind them that that is outside of the original scope of work because we've already passed the point where we have done revisions. And I just let it sit there. I don't make a lot of excuses. I don't add 72 paragraphs explaining that it's really hard to make a living as a service provider. I just state the fact. If it's even smaller, if it's a tiny, tiny little task, likely I wouldn't even mention it. I'd say, no problem. and On the next bill, I would separate out the time it takes to do that task, and I would say 15 minutes to do the following uh, change of scope item and i would bill the client and the client might ask me hey what's this 15 minutes for and i could explain do you remember when you asked me about painting the front door on the outside i had to pick a color i had to call the painter so that's the time it took to do that because that's that's additional scope of work and the client might be a little bit unhappy about it that's the thing you have to be prepared for the client might say oh i didn't realize that was going to be extra and then my job is to just be quiet I don't have to explain. It's very clear in my contract that the scope of work is provided and agreed to. And if anything occurs outside of that scope of work, I'm going to bill for that time. The client's already signed the contract. I've already read the contract through with the client at the consultation. They're well aware of that policy, and I can remind them of that policy. And I just hold firm, and the client will pay that bill for 15 minutes. And then something incredible happens. Now the client has more information. The client is fully aware that everything outside the original scope of work is going to be billed for, and it makes them aware before they ask to add additional tasks that that's what's going to happen. So one of two things can happen. The client will never ask you to do another thing outside the scope of work, And that's possible, but it has never happened to me. What has happened is the client asks us to do many things outside the original scope of work with the understanding that we're going to be billing extra for those things. But they see the value in adding those tasks, and they see the economy of time and even the economy of money by adding them to this ongoing list because they're going to be finished in a more timely fashion. Do I love having conversations about Scope Creep? No, I really don't. I can't say even now that I enjoy having them. However, I know if I will tackle the issue head on and I will have that first slightly uncomfortable conversation, I will never have to have another one. And if I don't, I'm going to be dealing with that on an ongoing basis throughout the project, which becomes more and more uncomfortable as I get more and more resentful. I said off the top of the show that scope creep didn't have to be negative, and I really mean that. My own experience of scope creep, and I bet if you think about it, yours too, reveals that typically scope creep occurs when a client begins to get comfortable with us. They see that we show up on time. They see that we have integrity. They see that we do exactly what we say we're going to do, and so they add things to our to-do list. Yes, the process of renovating, remodeling, decorating is expensive, but clients see that value in it. And so they think, if I'm already in for a big chunk of money and I'm getting the kitchen done, I might as well do the powder room at the same time. I see that Kimberly's here every day. She works very hard. I'm just going to add this to the list. And no, clients don't like how expensive renovating, remodeling, etc., is. We don't either when we're the consumers, right? But they do want it done and they appreciate the experience of living in a home that's beautifully appointed. I now like to look at scope creep as an indication that the client's trust in me is growing, they realize I can do the job and they want me to succeed in the work that I do. So they will add many tasks to the list. Sometimes the list doubles. Recently I did a presentation and I'm always sort of shocked when we do a full presentation and I see how expensive it's going to be. In this case, we had worked with the clients before. We had done a big renovation of their country house and this was their city house and it was half done and it had been half done for a long time so my thinking was it was going to be fairly reasonable to get it to the finish line. But of course, once you add everything up, fairly reasonable becomes, oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. So I did the presentation, it was well over $200,000. I was sure the clients were going to say, we're going to do part of it, but we need to pull back on some of it. And instead they said, yeah, let's do it, let's do the whole thing. And uh, following the meeting, my client sent me an email and said, Jim and I were talking and we want you to add the patio uh, off the side of the house to the project, we want you to add the backyard furniture as well and go ahead and tackle the kids' bedrooms. I'm not going to have time. So I think she just about doubled the scope of the project uh, by adding those things. And that's just, again, an indication to me that she realizes her time is valuable. She works hard. He works hard. They want this done and they know I'm going to get it done in a timely fashion and they're going to be able to love it and enjoy it for many years. So I look at scope creep in that case as being a real vote of confidence, and I appreciate it very much. Remember that renovating and decorating and uh, remodeling and all of this stuff can be very scary to clients. They haven't done it as many times as, as you have done it, uh, or they have done it quite a few times, but never had a great experience. Uh, they've worked with people who haven't taken good care of them, who have charged more than they said they were going to charge. Um, so they come at it with a bit of skepticism. And my experience is the more firm I can be about the rules that I need to run a business model that delivers on time and on budget, the more firm I can be about those things, uh, the more the clients will ultimately relax and enjoy the process. I never have a client say to me, wow, you are so inexpensive. That's amazing. Uh, I don't think that would ever make me happy to be thought of that way. I don't want to be the cheapest. I do think It's a service that's worth paying for. And so I'm looking for those clients who are looking for a certain amount of value and are happy to pay for that value. So the whole question of scope creep comes down to us. Do we have the capacity to really be disciplined when it comes to billing for those extra tasks? Can we see it not as a client who's trying to get away with something and trying to make us do something for free, instead as a situation where the client is only trying to make sure her project or his project turns out really, really well. They're excited about it. They might be anxious about it, uh, but in any case, scope creep is typically a moment where you have an opportunity to educate them about how it is you do what you do, and I always Back to my contract and the original scope of work, if there are any questions, and I say, You know, this is just how we do business, and I do have to keep a cap on the number of extras we do. And I've had, I don't think I've ever had a situation, in fact, where a client asked me to do extra and I billed them for it, and that was it. They never asked me to do another extra thing. Uh, But I liken it to that moment, and many of you will relate to this, where a client sends you an email and you send a thoughtful, thorough response. Back, and then you bill that client for 15 minutes for correspondence by email. And the client says, I didn't think you were going to bill me for emails. And you say, Well, absolutely. You know, we talked about the project. Everything in that email uh, makes me liable to you, makes me responsible for what's going to happen down the project line. So that time is extremely valuable. And that's a meeting uh, between the two of us. So, of course, I'm going to bill for that. And I have had the experience where clients will then really limit the amount of emails they send, which is great. I'm fine with that. And I've also had the experience more often where clients continue to send me emails and they realize that those are pertinent, relevant facts that I must have at my fingertips. So it's well worth the money. Many years ago, I figured out that every single problem I have with work, particularly when it comes to money, is a result of me having fear around stating my needs And then having the discipline to stick to what the rules are. So I hope it's helpful to you to know that you're not alone. You're not the first designer who's ever thought, gosh, I'm a little bit afraid to talk about this with clients. I certainly feel that way. And it's funny, I mentioned the client said I did the presentation recently was over $200,000. As I was heading out the door that morning, I said to my husband, oh my gosh, it came to over $200,000, I can't believe it, I think they're going to freak. And my husband says, you know what, you're so funny. I've been watching you do this for 25 years. You say this every single time you go off to a presentation. And you know what, he's right. It's true. 100% of the time when I go to the presentation, I think it's more money than the client wants to spend, and I'm a little anxious about the reaction. And 100% of the time, the clients have said to me, wow. Wow. That's more than I thought. And since I've been using the 15 steps the last 15 years or so, 100% of the time, the clients have said, let's do it. You know what? They're not messing around. Let's go ahead and let's do it. So have a very firm policy around scope creep. Uh, I recommend very strongly uh, that you pick up the book, Win the Flat Fee Game. That's volume three. It's very clear how I outline the scope. Of work, how I include it as part of the contract, what happens in the event that scope creep occurs, and it does occur, uh, and that's okay. That's not a problem, and. Sometime this fall, we will have a new master course on my flat fee contract. And for those of you who are annual members to the Business of Design community, you know those master courses are only for annual members and they do contain, for example, my hourly fee contract. You can download that contract and use it and modify it as you like. Uh, And soon, as I said, before the fall, we will have that flat fee contract in there as well. We get so many great ideas and suggestions from you listeners about podcasts you'd like, topics you want to explore, and even guests you think would be terrific. Please keep them coming in and do us a favor. If you can subscribe to us uh, through uh, iTunes or through SoundCloud or through Google Play, it means a lot to us. It helps us get uh, sponsors, which are really important to keep the podcast running, and it helps us provide more valuable content uh, so we can all grow in the industry as a whole. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. Pay it forward. Make sure you're reaching out to those on the road behind you. Give them an encouraging pep talk. Share your systems. Share your advice. We can educate the consumer so that they are smarter and wiser and know that there's value in hiring all of us, and there's plenty of work out there for all of us too. So I want to thank you for your support. It means a lot to us here at Business of Design. Uh, We can't do this work without you, and we appreciate uh, your enthusiasm and showing up week after week. If you're not a member yet, I'm just going to blatantly ask you to please join the community for $67 a month. You can take advantage of over a hundred courses and webinars that we provide on a monthly basis. And uh, of course, if you're just new and you want to dip your toes, you can become a free member. And there are some courses available to free members. We love you too. We understand that sometimes you're just not in a position to make that purchase and become a monthly or annual member. Uh, That's okay. We know that some of you will convert at a later date. And in the meantime, it's just great to know. That I'm not alone. So I want to thank you so much. I got to run. I've got two huge presentations that I'm working on. Isn't it just like that? It's feast or famine all the time, huh? So at the moment, we're just swamped. Uh, But I love that you were here and thank you so much for your support.